Hi, I'm Charles Stanton. I'm on the faculty of the Honors College at UNLV and the Boyd School of Law. I'm Lana Weatherald. I'm a third-year law student. And welcome to Social Justice. Social Justice, a conversation. A conversation. Hi, this is Charles Stanton. Good evening, and uh, welcome to Social Justice, a conversation. And uh, uh, my colleague, uh, Lana Weatherald, is going to uh, lead off today with uh, something that uh, she wants to get off her chest, so to speak. Um, so uh, many of you may know that Nicholas Cruz was um, sentenced um, and it was sort of a conversation about whether or not he was facing life in prison or the death penalty. Obviously, his guilt was not in question. He had faced a trial and this was just his sentencing. Um, and sort of shockingly, um, he was not sentenced to the death penalty. Uh, Nicholas Cruz is going to spend the rest of his life in prison. And, um, you know, normally it, people that espouse similar beliefs to what I believe um, are not proponents of the death penalty, are not proponents of capital punishment. Um, I am. Uh, I am actually, a, I, I, you don't want to say a fan of the death penalty, right? It's never nice when someone commits a crime so god-awfully heinous um, that they would be subject to put to death and then that with the loss of human life is always frightening no matter how we how we spin it however um there are certain people if we too if we do truly believe that the prison system is reformative and we truly believe that people are capable of rehabilitation um i think we need to look at the kind of people that we are then sending to life life sentences right is nicholas cruz somebody that's capable of rehabilitation is nicholas cruz someone that we actually believe could be reformed uh my guess is if you're capable of shooting 18 little children um that no, that you're not. Um, so I, I don't I, I don't know how to reckon with this. Right. Um, because you do value human life and you you do want people to be capable of re- rehabilitating themselves. But at the end of the day, uh, this just seems wrong. Um, I don't believe this guy should be walking our earth, nor do I believe he should be a burden on our taxpayers um, for the next 60 to 70 years. I mean, granted, he could get domered. You know, I don't want to be crass about it. He could get killed in prison. It wouldn't surprise me if he did. Uh, but the reality of it is, is he should not be a burden on the state. Obviously, there's a whole other discussion that then can come out about, well, these people sitting on death row cost sometimes more than typical prisoners. Um, so I, I don't I, I don't know how to wrestle with this. Um, I, I just think that the decision was wrong um, and, and that, yeah, we put him on death row and he may cost us more. But at the end of the day, this guy is not worthy of saving. He's not worthy of our tax dollars. He's not worthy of breathing human air as far as I'm concerned. Um, so I, I, I don't know. Um, I wish this came out differently. Yeah, it's 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 an interesting thing, you know. Uh, a lot of times we 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 look at these uh, we look at these cases, and um, we we become so desensitized to violence, uh, especially gun violence, and we have an epidemic of 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 these these uh, events uh, almost seemingly day after day, and uh, we just we're just numb from it, but. Amidst that is the families and the loved ones of the people who have been killed, and uh, you know it, it is it is it is easy to say sometimes. Well, you know that nobody should ever get the death penalty, but you don't know how you would feel if something like that happened to you, and I think that's one of the things that we overlook a lot of times when we when we look at these cases. Uh, and of course, uh, you know, uh, the reaction of the families that were in the court that day um, were, um, you know, absolutely, uh, they were absolutely in shock. 
that someone could have that someone could have done this. You know, I think that um, I think that there are times uh, in society uh, because I'm not I'm not a death penalty proponent. I'm not for the most part, but I think there are sometimes exceptional situations uh, where a person does something as so heinous and so evil um, that society uh, is forced to make a, is forced to to issue a statement about what actually uh, is beyond the pale and what actually has to be uh, treated with in the most in the most severe manner. Yeah, I mean, I, I just, I don't know when you have that <laughs> that level of carnage and when you're talking about small children and that level of carnage, uh, I, I just firmly believe he needs to be put put down like the dog he is. Uh, mm-hmm. There's just no reason that he needs to be walking this earth. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, so, well uh, uh, that, 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 of course, uh, is, is, is not a lead in too much, so much to our next story, but a different kind of, a, a different kind of villainy, I guess you could say, um, uh, last year, there was a major investigation of uh, 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 insider trading, uh, people who were uh, uh, in the, uh, actually in the court system, uh, the federal ju- judiciary, uh, a large number of judges who were, uh, had financial uh, stakes in cases that they were hearing. Uh, and, and so, so, that was, so that was the judiciary part of it. Uh, that was uh, followed by the... Uh, 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 revelation that uh, a large number of people who were uh, in the in the Congress were also doing the same thing, and that story was followed by the revelation that a large number of people who were in the executive branch uh, were also uh, having inside information when they made these stock trades, and were in position to pass laws that were possibly going to regulate these companies. So the cake has been baked, as we would say, and now the icing on the cake has been provided by the investigation of the Federal Trade Commission, where basically they were doing the same thing as all the different branches of government they were supposed to regulate. So when we wonder why do people in our society, whether they be Republicans or Democrats, have a lack of belief in our institutions, uh, that there's a perfect example of it, that basically these people who are supposed to represent us uh, have uh, in many ways uh, abandoned that duty. And uh, it, is, it is something to behold that these, these uh, uh, behaviors are so widespread. I mean, I, I'm you know, speaking as an attorney, I, I'm not saying that every... And every judge is beyond reproach, or even every lawyer is beyond reproach. But the the breadth of this whole thing is, is kind of mind-boggling. And uh, any and and that, it was really interesting that apparently the um, House of Representatives is going to pass a bill or trying to pass a bill to regulate, you know, what Congress people can do vis-a-vis, you know, selling stock and buying stock and everything. Uh, but uh, it always seems to be postponed. It never really seems to get to the point where the law is actually passed. So it's something to uh, it's something to uh, uh, you know uh, ponder about. Um, and I would I was I would like to get uh, you know speaking of you know corporate malfeasance or nonfeasance, uh, I wanted to talk to, talk with Lana a little bit about the. Uh, Kroger Albertson's merger and see what your, your thoughts yeah, are so on that. For those of you that don't know, Kroger has um, sort of 
acquired and it's being called a merger. But at the end of the day, this is more of an acquisition type situation. Uh, just about every grocery store you can think of. Um, you know, there's there's still some major players in this game. I'm not going to act like every grocery store now belongs to Kroger, but a, a huge slate of grocery stores. So locally in Vegas, um, we're talking Vons. We're talking Smith's. If you're out in the Midwest, like where I'm from, we're talking Jewel Osco. Uh, these are places that uh, normally keep low prices are sometimes located in lower income neighborhoods, sometimes are more affordable and accessible to people that otherwise could not afford fresh produce or afford things like that. Um, and now they're all going to be under the same umbrella, the same house. Kroger's going to own them all. Um, and, and when you think about just the sheer amount um, of control that then is given to price setting um, and the amount of control that's given to the, you know, probably 10 guys sitting in Kroger's boardroom uh, is, is sort of mind boggling. Um, and you would think that this is an antitrust issue, but it's not. Um, so I, I think you should watch and we have to hope that players like Target and players like Walmart and Costco, massive, massive conglomerates, right, are not uh, swayed by these sort of things to then up their prices in congruence with what I'm sure is going to happen with Kroger. Um, but but if not, you know, we could see inflation, especially where groceries are concerned, beyond what we have been seeing now. Um, and like I say, just the fact that this is not an antitrust issue, uh, shocking, to say the least. Yeah, I think I think that's one of the interesting things that's happened as the law has evolved. Um, when I was going to law school, basically, in the media, you weren't basically allowed to have a newspaper, a major newspaper, or television and radio station in the same market. And now all those all those uh, regulations have all gone by the boards, and uh, there there doesn't seem to be any force in the government or the Congress, whether it's Republican or Democratic, to um, basically rein that in. And you have, uh, you have uh, uh, media companies with uh, movie studios, with, with uh, a chain of radio stations, with a chain of television right. stations. And, then, and the, the, the danger of that, of course, is that you have a, uh, a reduction in the amount of opinions mm -hmm. that, you, that people want to express. Um, I think one of the interesting things about about uh, Fox News uh, and the growth of Fox News was that in many ways Fox News was a reaction to the fact that there were not that many uh, conservative radio or television outlets in the country. Uh, before Fox News came on board, you had ABC, you had CBS, and you had NBC. And all those three, those three networks were, were, were basically liberal. Uh, and, of course, uh, CNN, CNN as, as well. But uh, Murdoch obviously realized that there was a major market for conservative, conservative talk and conservative news. Um, uh, ideally, ideally, the news should not be conservative or liberal. Uh, it should be the news. It should be exactly. It should be the news. The news, the fact, whatever, whatever the facts are. But I think that's one of the things that's happened in our country that uh, there's two versions of the news. There's two versions of truth. Now, of course, obviously, there's only one truth. But I think we're seeing it. We're seeing it in, in, uh, in our politics. Uh, and uh, later on in the show, we, we can talk about that. Um, and of course, uh, now that we're mentioned politics, um, we're going to bring up, uh, hopefully for the last time, Herschel Walker, 
Uh, and just a very interesting, just a very interesting article uh, having to do with the gentleman who was uh, running against Herschel Walker in the Republican primary. And um, he had met with the wife of uh, Herschel Walker's, I guess, ex-wife, uh, who apparently had been threatened by Herschel Walker, that he was going to shoot her and everything like that. And they, she gave a, they did a video and everything. And uh, he had gone to the, uh, the, I guess, the organizing committee of the Republican Party or the, the people who were managing you know the what the how the how the candidates would be uh, you know uh, supported, and uh, nobody wanted to see his video, hmm. and I think that's kind I think that's kind of sad because the voters should know as as much as possible about the character of the people that they're gonna that are gonna run for office, uh, and it's not it's not just Herschel Walker it, it's it's anybody that runs. I think that you know too often we 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 have been uh, we have the bad habit in our country of uh, you know talking about Republican or Democrat. It's not a Republican or Democratic issue. Uh, the truth is really not a Republican or Democratic issue. Th- these are issues that people should all be able to get together on and come to a consensus as to you know what uh, what really is uh, what really are objective facts. Um, you know, and, and there are some objective facts. You know, uh, one of the things that, that happened uh, this past week was the revelation that uh, Stanford University had a long, uh, long history of anti-Semitism regarding uh, which applicants could gain admittance to Stanford University, and um, this had gone on for a number of years, and was actually only discovered by accident by one of the fellows who was doing like a research project. And he, um, he uh, you know, sort of opened up the can of worms. And, uh, you know, uh, it's interesting, you know, in doing this show, um, we think in a lot of ways that, you know, things have, have, have radically changed, hopefully for the better. But, but, but that's not always the case a lot of the time. You know, it seems like we have... One of these cases in Stanford is just this year's every year where a university, sometimes several universities, are found to have nefarious admittance pro- policies and practices. What bothers me is there a lot of these admissions committees are massive and a lot of these admissions committees are people that are appointed or a lot of these admissions committees have been people that have tenured faculty sitting there for t- the fact that. It doesn't usually that's not the source, right? It's not people on the admissions committee that are blowing the whistle and saying this is what's going on here. I am so disgusted that these are these quotas. I, I mean, they are not disgusted at all. They're the ones pushing these numbers through and signing the de- and these I, I want you to consider if you're in college right now or if you're in university, if you're a law student, dental student, doctor, whatever. Uh Think about who is on your admissions committees, right? These are your professors. These are the people in your administration. These are your deans. There's usually a dean of admissions that maybe might even teach a class or two at your institution. These are the people, whenever you're caught in some sort of admissions scandal, that are making these choices, and they are approving these choices. So, you know, I don't want to cause some sort of grief or cause sort of trepidation towards administration or admissions committees writ large, but there is something to be said about how these universities admit people. Uh, I don't think the practices are uniform across the board, nor do I think they are proper across the board, uh, nor do I think they are fair to socioeconomic status, gender, race, wealth, anything across the board. Uh, So 
Yeah, I just think some food for thought. Uh, think about and, and if you're, you know, tempted, Google who's on your admissions committee for whatever university you're enrolled in and think about those things. And Stanford in particular, it might be interesting to look uh, what kind of scholars and what kind of, you know, academic superstars are sitting on that committee and getting away with those kind of things. Right. I think, you know, what you said is, is very interesting because uh, they had a uh, analysis uh, which they have every year that they pick the top 100 universities or top 150 universities, and I, I always I always laugh when I when I when I think about that. I, you know, I went to school in, in New York in New York City. I went to NYU, and uh, you know, it has a reputation like all these places have a reputation. Uh, but I always look, I always look at when I look at the statistics for the universities, uh, and you, you, you have the usual, I call them the usual suspects, right. Harvard, Yale, you know, Princeton, you know, that's uh, MIT. I look at the diversity statistics. I look at the diversity statistics. I look at the diversity statistics because uh, hopefully diversity is uh, uh, what an ideal college, university, community should be, that we... we we have people from all different ethnicities, all different races, all different religions, and uh, that makes the that makes the uh, 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 university more vibrant, more interesting, more 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 in tune with the America of today. And uh, what was always interesting to me was uh, Yale, Harvard, all these places. They were eons behind UNLV. And I'm saying to myself, that's kind of crazy. They have a thousand times our money. They have a thousand times our land. They have a thousand times our connections. They have a thousand times everything that we have. But somehow in the diversity area, they fell way behind us. And I think that a lot of these universities, there's a mythology about them. That really it's the mythology nepotism, Professor Stanley. But nepotism. Well, well, what it is, what what it is, of course. In um, I can only speak to you know a lot of the Ivy League schools. Right. That if you have your, your father, your mom went to uh, the university, um, you have a big you have a big foot up the ladder to being admitted. I also find I also find it I also find it interesting when people. Just as an aside, when people talk about diversity and, you know, th that we have a changing demographic in our country and we have more people of color and all the rest of that, th those things, diversity, diversity made our country. Diversity made America what it is today with all its faults. The, the, the people coming from all these different nations who came to, for, a new, for a new start, a new chance, and and it's interesting how now all of a sudden people are saying, you know, that uh, you hear the phrase that they're people not like us, they're different than us. But a lot of those same people were saying that their ancestors came from Europe, their ancestors came from different places and faced a lot of discrimination when they came here. And there's a movie called The Gangs in New York that talks about the Irish experience coming to uh, uh, the United States. Uh, the Chinese experience early in the 20th century in San Francisco. The, the Jewish experience in New York City. 
we're all basically immigrants, except for, of course, the, you know, the uh, American Indians, and of course the the, the African Americans who were brought here in, in bondage. So we we need to think a little bit more about that. I think we're, we there's like a like a uh, just like a reaction to the fact that people you know come here, and we we sort of look down upon them. And 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 in many ways, and in many ways, people coming here should be viewed as a compliment, because this is a place that people all over the world see as a place of opportunity, you know. So so we're gonna we're gonna we're also gonna get into today um, uh, the uh, upcoming election, uh, which is going to be, I think, one of the most tumultuous elections that's ever been held in our country. Uh, It's very interesting that. there's a there's an enormous divide between the Republican Party and, and the Democratic Party, uh, not just as to validating the 2020 election, but also but also as to whether uh, the upcoming elections are going to be uh, considered valid. And you have a number of candidates who basically uh, have have come out and said that if they they are not victorious that they're going to challenge the election, uh, etc. cetera. Um, and I think we're seeing something very, very interesting, and I, and I think Lana can also, uh, you know, uh, give her perspective on it. I think that we started out with gerrymandering, and gerrymandering was one of the ways, basically, that uh, in some aspects, people of color, their power of the vote was going to be, was going to be reduced. And then we went for, from, from gerrymandering to uh, trying to restrict voting. And I've, I've spoken about this before, that you know, after the election of 2020, we would think that the idea would be to make the ability to vote even greater, but that hasn't been a reaction. And now we have basically uh, the actual investigation, of, more than just limiting people to vote or restricting people to vote, but on the night of the election, uh, you know, uh, massive inspection of the votes while they're actually being counted. Now, I, I in a former iteration, had worked in the, uh, uh, you know, Board of Elections in New York City. And I think I've said it previously that there was, there was, oh, there's always fraud in elections. There's never an election without some fraud. But the fraud that uh, 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 they're talking about now, I've never seen it. Well, or any substantive proof of any of this fraud that they're claiming occurred. Uh, They have a lot of claims, none of them backed up by anything verifiable. Um, And and yeah, like you say, you know, do I think somebody who may have may have died that week, their ballot got counted? Sure. Do I think there might have been some lost or misplaced? Sure. I think that happens in every election. But to claim mass scale fraud and have no evidence to support mass fraud, just just bizarre. It just at a very core level, it's bizarre. But I think here I think here's what the Republicans are trying to do. And I could be completely off base here. If the entire idea is, well, you can come out and vote, but guess what? We're not going to accept the results even if we do lose, even if we don't win. Uh, it's it's the idea that then your vote becomes futile if it wasn't before, and, and it certainly might be now. Um, and I don't want to say that there's sort of the idea of we're stoking the fire and you don't matter kind of thing, but that's almost what this rhetoric seems like. Well, we don't care what you vote. I'm winning anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, it almost seems like they're... It's a fear tactic used to, I I genuinely believe, make certain groups feel like their vote will not be heard no matter what it is they do, whether you show up at the polls or stay home. Mm. Um, 
futile. Voting is futile, I think, is the message that they're trying to espouse in some way, shape or form by denying the efficacy of our elections. I, I think I think it's it's really interesting. And, and I say this as I say this as. I hope to I hope that I can always be a, be fair minded in the way I look at these things. Um, the show that we do together is not a polemic against any group of people. That's not why we're that's not why we're sitting here. But I will say this: I believe in evidence, and I believe I believe in our I believe in our system of justice, as flawed as it is. When the 2020 election was contested, it went to over 70 courts. Those courts were composed of not just Democratic judges but Republican judges as well, and also judges that were, were appointed by, by uh, uh, the previous president. And, 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 and also, of course, a number of uh, times, uh, they, they were brought before the Supreme Court. In all of those cases, in all of those cases, every single case, it was found that there was no vote fraud. In, in, in the state of Georgia, for instance, just as one example, uh, they did a hand recount to prove that there was not fraud. A, a hand recount is prodigiously expensive. They, they hand counted literally millions of ballots. They couldn't find any vote fraud. And I'm the first one, if there, wa- if there, was, if there was vote fraud, I would say certainly that I would say that the election was illegitimate. But there has to be, there has to be, yeah, there has to be, there has to be factual proof. It reminded me, you know, we we have such division in our country. Um, When we had the, when we had the catastrophe of the Civil War, um, I wanted to read something that Lincoln said. And Lincoln said, he said, we are not enemies, but friends. We must not be enemies. Though passion may have strained, it must not break our bonds of affection. The mystic chords of memory stretching from every battlefield and patriot grave to every living heart and hearthstone all over this broad land when again touched as surely they will be by the better angels of our nature. And I think that's where we need to go. I think that's where we need to be. I think that's where our country needs to be, where we need to put aside, we need to put aside our, our prejudices that seem to have in, 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 infected and, and have been inflicted on every part of our body politic and really try to converse with one another about the whole sanctity of voting and the importance of voting because without it, we don't have a democracy. Right. And I think my little spiel about how I believe, you know, the Republican agenda here is to f- force people into thinking that re- voting is futile. It isn't right. Um, you do still need to get out there and vote and, and don't uh, yeah, don't become part of the problem. Right. Uh, your vote will still count. Um, we do need to support the legitimacy and the efficacy of our elections by showing up. Um, mail in ballots are just as effective as showing up in person. Make sure that you are double checking that your mail in ballot was received. If you are doing the mail in ballot system, um, midterm elections, I, you know, they may not seem important to everybody, but especially in this climate, they are exceedingly important to us. Um, so make sure you're getting out and voting. Oh, absolutely. I think that's that's However you vote, whoever you vote for, that's the most important thing. 
because we must always feel that we're part of the process, that we're part of our democracy. When we stop feeling that way and we start feeling that our, our vote is irrelevant, then we have a danger that people will resort to other means to, to, to run sure. our country. Yeah, I think very simply, um, democracy is being undermined at every turn and everywhere we look. And the one thing you can keep constant is that you have a voice and you have a vote. Um, so as democracy is being undermined everywhere, make sure you're not part of the undermining of that democracy. Um, one more further thing, sort of a call to action for everybody. The federal application for student loan forgiveness is now open. Um, you know, I think maybe there is some hope that people would not want to go fill out that application thinking it's lengthy, thinking you need W2 thinking you need this is a short quick it should not take you longer than a minute or two to get it filled out um make sure you're getting your money you know if you're making less than one hundred and twenty-five thousand, and you have at least 10k in student loan debt if not a little less make sure your balances are getting wiped there's there's no reason um to to, to not fill out this one minute little questionnaire and get your money um pell grant recipients receive twenty thousand dollars if you're a pell grant recipient i would urge you to get that filled out as early as possible and make sure you're receiving your funds i actually know um just personally and anecdotally that some people who have applied already have already received forgiveness for those loans so that this is this money is being distributed quick um so make sure you are online and doing that. Um, it should be through the same website that most students fill out their FAFSA, so studentaid.gov. Yeah, I think that I think that's uh, something positive that uh, the president has has tried to do, and uh, I think that he has uh, he has done something that uh, will help a lot of people. And um, he's been he's he's a man who seems to be besieged many times. But I think, I think in all fairness to him, um, there are some, some things that have been brought to his table um, that were not cooked and prepared by him that uh, go beyond just our politics in our own country to foreign relations and our relationships with the, the oil-producing countries and a lot of other things that there, there is a limitation on whoever would be the president to, to, to fix it. And with that, I think we are going to close out our show. We thank you, as always, for listening. Uh, if you would like to send us an email, of course, our email is wethel1 at unlv.nevada.edu. We're happy to take any questions that you may have about the show or any topics you may like to hear us discuss. Thank you again for listening, and happy Thursday. Happy Thursday. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our show. If you have any questions, please do not hesitate to contact us at wethel1, that's W-E-T-H-E-L-1, at nevada.unlv.edu. Or to contact Professor Charles Stanton, contact him at C-H-A-R-L-E-S, that's charles.stanton, S-T-A-N-T-O-N, at unlv.edu. See you, See you next time. time.